Question for News in New York. I'll be back with another 15 minutes of news at 11 o'clock. Coming up, Gene Shepard. This microphone. This is the latest one we just got from Sears. We bought it in the catalog, and uh, works out all right, right? It's one of those new Hong Kong microphones, huh? It's got a little fringe on it. Sounds kind of good too, you know. Almost like a real one. Yeah, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'll pull a Jackie Gleason on you here. Mm, uh, you're reading a coffee here. Nothing like about three-hour-old coffee in a cardboard container to teach you the truth of life, I'll tell you. Now listen, uh, I, I had a, a traumatic experience Sunday. You know, we weren't on last night. And uh, I had a traumatic experience Sunday, and I'm just going to have to tell you about whether you like it or not. It's just a true trauma. Um, <laughs> and I'm, I'm not inventing it. I'm just going to tell you exactly what happened. Every week, like almost everybody in New York City, I get the New York Times. You know, you go down to the newsstand and you stand around and you argue with the guy and he finally decides to give you one. And uh, I had the Times, and so I, I, I went in this place. He said, I, I always like to... One of the first things I do when I get the Times is that I give it a good shake. You know, the Sunday Times, a big fat one. See, I give it a good shake, and when you shake it like that, hold it upside down, the magazine section falls out as well as the book section, you know, the book review section? Well, now, I have a regular routine. Almost everybody has, in his own way, uh, you, you kind of develop this thing, kind of a, a kind of an evolutionary process. You develop uh, your own technique of how you say, for example, eat a meal. Now, if you eat a meal, Tony, when you sit down to eat, uh, do you cut your meat first? Some people just cut up all their meat. They take this you know, here's a piece of meatloaf, so they cut it all up in little pieces. Now, I don't either, but some people do. Uh, some people then, they'll move their plate around so that the meat is facing towards them and the potatoes are on the other side or the carrots are on the top, see? Now, other people do it differently, see? They move it around. <laughs> so everybody has his own little technique, see? And, and he never... It, these are secret things nobody really talks about. It's a little, little uh, you know, special things. And... And reading papers now, uh, the, the, the technique of reading a paper is very private. 
fact, I'm waiting for the day when uh, analysts will make much of uh, how a guy reads a newspaper. What is he really an involved human being? Is he is he attempting to escape truth? <laughs> is he is, it, is he attempting to escape reality? Because the first thing he does is look back at uh, let's say the trust ads. And he's, uh, you know, all up in the front, the three or four pages in the front, it says uh, 17,000 people killed in riot, uh, 24 men machine gunned down and holed up on bank, two airplanes crashed, submarine sinks. And he doesn't look at any of that stuff. He goes all the way in the back, and he looks at the truss ads before he does anything else. All right. I think you can tell a lot about a guy <laughs> that way. Well, I have a terrible problem. What do I do when I look at the uh, paper? Well, the first thing I do... I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm admitting this. I, I admit it's a character defect, and I'm here tonight to confess. I think it's good for a man occasionally to confess, don't you, Tony? And, uh, by the way, if you like beer, you might as well confess it. If you like beer, you're going to love this. <laughs> Bring it up, big Tony. Big. Michelob. Yeah, yeah, fun. Yeah, Michelob. Unexpected. Hey, Charlie. What's this stuff? This is good beer. Instead of that slop you've been serving, it's Michelob. For heaven's sakes, what's happening? Very good. Surprise your friends. Serve Michelob. They'll be surprised. We got another ding dong here, but we'll put it on later. But uh, nevertheless, I'm going to. Tonight is confession night. Uh, I, I, when I read a newspaper, I always, no matter what the paper is, I always start at the sports section. <laughs> no matter what's on the front page, I can't stop. I just cannot do it. I, you know, there's some gigantic story like. Like uh, seven men land on Mars, discover 40-foot giant monsters. You know, I look at it, and I say, oh, wow, what a story. And the next thing you know, I'm folding the paper, and I'm reading. <laughs> Last night, uh, Hank Aaron, well, uh, you can't, you, uh, this is a personal thing. I'm not trying to escape from reality. It's just that uh, that's the way it is. It's been so deeply ingrained in me that I, I, uh, I'm embarrassed about it, too. Sometimes I'll get on an airplane or someplace with a paper, and I'm embarrassed, you know, because I see all these intellectual people, these serious people sitting around, and they're reading the editorial page on the, on the, what's even more interesting, to read the editorials on the insurance page, you know, that kind of thing. Well, I, I uh, you know, vast areas of the paper I never even know are there, you know, just a lot of paper there. Sometimes it's great for putting under the dog, you know, that kind of stuff, but uh, actually, I have a thing, I read the sports page. Well, after that, now, if it's the Sunday paper, remember after the sport page, I haven't even looked at the front page now. I haven't even looked at all the news. See, I take out the magazine section. Now, you know the magazine section. They always have a story in there about the plight of the blacks. Uh, this is <laughs> runs through it every week. So I take this magazine section out, and I look at it. I look at the cover. But the first thing I do is turn it over. Now, don't, I don't start from the top. I turn it from to the bottom up, see, and I start going to the bottom of it, see, and I go through those ads for these uh, riding academy schools, you know, uh, Camp uh, Nabawawanaki, uh, if you have a problem child, uh, that, all those uh, summer camps and jazz, and I go through that, and then comes the puzzle. Well, I savor the puzzle. See, I, I look at the puzzle first, and I, I uh, you know, I, I, to me, Will Wing is a great artist, and I, I, uh, an unsung hero, and I, I look at the puzzle, the first, just the first 
look at it. I don't try to work it. Now, that's I saved that for later. See, I just look at it, and, and they always have a line on the top of the puzzle that it's supposed to be a clue on what that puzzle's about, like uh, uh, hickory, dickory, dock, uh, the mouse ran up the clock, something like that. Or it'll say uh, misquotes or cast steps or something like that. Or it'll say uh, great presidents. Well, then I... I, I, I I, I, I test myself. See, I look at number one across. Well, now, if, if immediately I can see that number one across, I know, I know it's going to be a great weekend. And I feel warm. But I don't write it down. I just feel warm. See, so, oh, that's great. So uh, I then take the puzzle. I fold it over. Now the puzzle is ready to be worked. See, the next thing I do then is to take out the book review section. This uh, thing I've got. And I start... I look at that. Now, I start from the front of that one. See, the front page is always some guy's written an important book on uh, the future of uh, Civil War history, something like that. So I go through that, and uh, I, I, I just glance. You know, I glance like that. I'm looking at these things, because I, I, I'll, I'll read the reviews later. See, I'm just looking to see what's, what's being reviewed this week, and there's pictures usually of Hemingway standing on the top of a dead goat or something. So I go through this, and I'm doing this this weekend, see. Remember this, my head is asleep, I'm just doing my usual thing, and I'm drinking a cup of coffee, and I'm going through this magazine. When all of a sudden, I'm reading something, see, and I'm reading it, and it and bugs me. I says, what the hell, what's, what's going on here? What the hell is this? Some son of a gun is stealing my stuff. Somebody's copying, stealing my stuff. Well, you don't often run into yourself in the book review section of the New York Times. You simply don't. I mean, I don't care who you are. You just don't often do it. Mailer, I don't care who it is. So I said, somebody's stealing my stuff. And I'm reading this thing, see, and I'm reading it. I'm getting madder and madder. I get to the bottom of it. I'm really bugged. And I see it is an ad for my book. I didn't even know it was going to be in. <laughs> and I had no idea. I'm serious. Raising my hand, I was not told. I knew nothing about it. There's a full-page ad in the Times book review section this past week, and I read it all the way through before I realized what I was reading. It's a trauma. I said, ah, it's, 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 it's about Wanda Hickey. It's, it's about my book. And then I felt kind of silly because I had gotten mad, you see, halfway through it, and I had been thinking halfway through it, this guy's stealing my stuff, but he don't know how to do it. He, he doesn't know how to write. <laughs> so if you, have a, if you have a copy of the New York Times book review section for the past, this past weekend, uh, what what was the date on it? September, August, uh, is it the 1st, 28th, 29th, so, uh, August 29th. I, I never know what date it is. I, 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 uh, I must confess that's another one of my weaknesses. So anyway, it's the 29th of August. Well, if, you, if you're curious, you will see an ad. And you know, it's a very clever ad, I must concede. I mean, it was a, so clever that it euchred me. It pulled me right in. And I here I am reading an ad for my own book, and I don't... Uh, you know, I don't recognize it until I get all the way to the bottom. And at that point, I was already mad. So uh, uh, it, was a, it was a real trauma. And uh, incidentally, uh, for, for those of you who don't know anything about it, I'm delighted. You know, one of the great feelings in this world is to walk up Fifth Avenue and see your book in the window of Double Days. You know, at 52nd there, and all that, I'm, right on Fifth Avenue, you see, there it is, right in the middle window. It's a fantastic feeling. 
And uh, it just came out, and there it is, you know. And I, I walk. I must say that I walked past the bookstore 18 times. The cop standing in there was starting to give me a bad look. You know, <laughs> Do you know that authors. I wonder what many people know that authors haunt bookstores. Uh, they just can't stay away from it because they see people looking at their books, and it's a it's a curious feeling. But if you don't know about it, the name of the book is Wanda Hickey's Night of Golden Memories, and it just came out, and it's Double Day. Time for a break now? Not yet, huh? Well, uh, this this was a, I just thought I you know speaking of traumas, uh, and and you know they come in many forms. There's no question about it. But did you did you see the little piece in the paper here recently? The one of the, one of the great little clubs you know certain certain events happen in in life in the 20th century life that are so special that nobody else can really share them and for that reason people who have written books people who are authors tend to understand each other because this is an experience that most people will never know they don't know the feeling of how it is how it feels to to uh, read a, a devastating review of your book. You know, this, what a piece of garbage. <laughs> you know, it starts right out. <laughs> you know, the, the great things about reviews, and this is, this is something that, uh, personally, you know, it, it, I always think it's kind of fun, you know, of course, to get a good review. But then again, uh, uh, bad reviews never bother me, really. Because, you know what I found about reviews? This is something that, uh, that, uh, that authors generally uh, don't talk much about. You don't, you don't mention it. Because uh, we talk about reviews much more in the theater. Uh, than people do in books. But, you know, what I found about reviews, that reviews for books, particularly short stories and novels, are as personal as sex. And a book reviewer is a human being. He's just like anybody else. And he has his, you know, he has his hang-ups. He has his good days. He has his bad days. He has things that he can't bear to read about. He has things that he digs. Because of things that are very human. Nothing to do with the good or bad writing. It's your own background, you know? human being is a human being and uh, they should be and so the groovy thing about reviews is that you will find out of any collection of reviews you know almost every author uh, or at least publisher it's not the author they have a clipping service so the reviews will come in from all over the country you know they'll, they'll be out of a book you may just see the review that's in the times or you may just see the review that's in the post but but uh, to an author and to a publisher there are reviews that come in on books like say maybe three or four hundred reviews that will come in from you know, such places as Flagstaff, Arizona, uh, Los Angeles, uh, places like uh, uh, Whistle Gap, Washington. And, and reviews come from all over places. Oh, strange places. Uh, uh, and big papers and little papers. And you'll find that they almost always contradict each other. You'll get... Uh, I remember in God We Trust, uh, the Times, uh, blah, they, they didn't buy it. See, Times likes... If you, if uh, you know, that's, uh, I'm not one of the official guys with the Times in their 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 literary department. Times, blah. The the Herald Tribune was ecstatic. That was when they had the Herald Tribune. Two big papers. So that's what makes it exciting, you know. It, it really, it's like sex, man. Uh, speaking of, this is W O R New York, and uh, let's see, we have a note here. All employees of Matushin. Uh, I'll start again at the top. All employees of Matushin Assembly Plant. Ford Motor Company, day shift for Wednesday. Report for work at your regular time. Okay? I will repeat that. All employees of Metuchen Assembly Plant Ford Motor Company, day shift for Wednesday. Report for work at your regular time. Okay? So you can't goof off tomorrow, all right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, uh, 
And I, I uh, you know, speaking of clubs, and, and uh, you, you tend to form in the clubs. Did you know that authors have a, have a, have a, uh, an organization of which I am a member? You don't know about the Authors League? Well, the Authors League is like an author's union. And uh, they do. They have meetings, and they gather around, and they get angry about how much it costs to bind books. And uh, they talk about things, very mundane things, like uh, how much it costs to have a book set in print. They, they, uh, this is affecting their whole lives, you know. You always think of authors as being very esoteric. You know, they're only interested in their cork line room and so on. But the <laughs> the the union is very different. So they meet. And we, I go to these meetings once in a while, and, and some author who is supposed to be a real sensitive type author, he'll get up and his face is purple, and he says, We ought to do something about them crummy agents! Them crummy agents! And, and you think, gee, uh, here all the while all of his readers think he's such a sensitive person who never thinks about money. And uh, at the meeting, that's all he talks about. So, uh... You go, uh, I, I was just, what made me think of this, I was reading a piece in the paper about one of the most elegant, esoteric clubs I've ever heard of. Did you hear about it? New Jersey? Yeah. New Jersey's lottery millionaires, the guys that have won $1 million on the lottery, you know, you, you can win a million dollars in one swell foop, you know. <laughs> they have organized a club. Just guys that have won a million bananas on the lottery. Uh, right now, it's regarded as one of the most exclusive clubs in the world. It is composed of seven members, all of whom have won a cool million in the state lottery. Edward Henry of West Caldwell, New Jersey, the first millionaire winner, has been elected president. Of course, he's got, he, you know, he represents old money. Uh, he's the first one. He represents, you know, established wealth, naturally. He'd, he'd uh, be elected president the other members of the club, and it has a whole list of them down here, uh, who won the Millionaire Prize, uh, the club will uh, get another member uh, a few months, uh, September 9th, as a matter of fact, uh, when the winner in the 2.5 millionaire sweepstakes will be drawn. There's going another another guy out there. Some, some walking-around Jersey guy does not realize that in a few weeks he'll be a member of a fantastic club. Now, <laughs> can you imagine the meeting? And what do they talk about? I mean, uh, here's the, the, each guy's won a million dollars. So you can't sit around and tell great stories about how you won all this money on a lottery. Nobody's going to be impressed. You know? you know, that's probably the only place in the world where if you said, geez, did you realize I won a million dollars on a lottery? The other six guys are going to say, well, so what? You know, <laughs> you know, what's, so gr you know what, what's so unusual about that, friend? Tell us a great story, you know. And uh, so here they are, uh, these these millionaires are meeting. These, these, uh, now, I imagine eventually uh, they'll have to start having business. I mean, uh, they'll have, you know, the reading of the minutes, and uh, they'll have business before the meeting. And uh, I suspect that when, you know, as time goes on, eventually uh, they'll have to develop an entire philosophy and an outlook. And so... And naturally, every couple of months is going to be a new member added. And so after about 20 years, there could be, you know, two, 3,000 people in this club. And there's left-wing guys in it. There's right-wing, and they start developing, you know. Then they start, they, they, they form a lobby uh, for uh, better treatment for millionaires, uh, for the, the Jersey thing. And uh, they want their money in cash instead of in check. And, oh, you know, the whole thing. But uh, reading this, uh, this I, you know, this thing, I thought to myself, gee, you know, that's that's the kind of club. Uh, that's the kind of club I'd love to be in, uh, just because 
<laughs> you know, it's, it, it, it's a shared, fantastic moment. You know that one of the other great clubs, Tony, I, I've often wondered why you didn't join this club. Because you are, you are one of the few guys I've met in my time, you are, are uh, eligible for it. And that's the Caterpillar Club. You know the Caterpillar Club, Jerry? You don't know what that is? Well, the Caterpillar Club is a very exclusive club. And it's a club that a lot of guys just don't want to be in. Uh, on the other hand, uh, there's a curious uh, lure to being in the Caterpillar Club. And the Caterpillar Club is a club that was, uh, that was formed many, many years ago. It was formed about the time that uh, almost shortly after aviation became a fairly common thing. Back around the time of World War I, I guess. I don't know the history of the club, but it was probably around that time. And what it consists of, it consists of people. One kind of guy can get into this club. He has to have bailed out in a parachute from an airplane to save his life. It's not a club of uh, parachute jumpers or anything. In other words, the parachute saved your life. You jumped out of an airplane that was crashing. And uh, to, to get into this club, you <laughs> oh boy, <laughs> you can imagine what kind of excitement it must be. Well, you jumped out of an airplane that was crashing, didn't you, Tony? Yeah. What type of an airplane was it? Can you tell me offhand? An O-47, an observation plane. Yeah. Uh, for any of you uh, who are aviation cuckoos, uh, our engineer tonight, Tony, jumped out of a uh, out of an O forty seven, which was a pre war uh, observation aircraft. How many crew did it carry? Just two, pilot and observer. And of course, you were the observer. And uh, he bailed out of that airplane as she was crashing. Did the pilot get down too? He bailed out too. Where'd the airplane go? It went into the bay. What bay? Newport News Bay. Uh, did they recover it? Never did. Uh, how much? Did you know how many feet of water it went into, or anything like that? Complete wreck, of course. Uh, what? What was the cause? Do you know offhand? She began to uh, 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 vibrate, absolutely uncontrollably. Oh, that must have been an exciting moment. The plane is vibrating. Uh, obviously, you've got real problems, and she, he lost control of it couldn't hold her any longer and she started to go in he made you jump first mm -hmm. well of course that's that's the way it should be after all uh, captain uh, traditionally leaves the ship last you know and uh, and the pilot is the captain of an airplane i guess people uh, maybe don't know that and you bailed out of the rear seat was it the rear seat i see you crawled out on the wing you went out on the uh, i see I see. You, you crawled out on the side. You held onto the side of the fuselage. Wow. And the plane was in a spin at the time? She was, she was uh, climbing in a high left climbing turn, but out of control. He couldn't handle her. You pushed off. I see. You just pushed off and fell backwards in your parachute. Did you have an emergency sh uh, shoot with you? One shoot. A uh, seat pack. Yeah. And uh, how, at what altitude were you at this point? About 5,000 feet? Well, you didn't have much uh, altitude to play with then. Huh? 
I see. How far did you fall before your chute opened? You fell about 300. You pulled that ring right away, and then she, she, uh, you just kept plummeting, as, and the thing streamed out, and uh, she stopped you at about 300 feet. Did you get a, a tremendous wrench at the time it stopped you? I'll bet it did. You know, that type of parachute often uh, dislocates your arm and uh, your shoulder and so forth. It was dark. Oh, wow. <laughs> it was nighttime. Woo. Uh, well, uh, I, I hope this isn't boring any of you out there, but this is a true story. And, and Tony was in the Air Force for many years. And uh, he also, for those of you who are aviation cuckoos, he took part in a, in a dramatic and a historic thing, which was the flight of the first squadron of B-17s, which uh, a famous flight down over the Caribbean and down into uh, South America, Chile and places like that. And it's a very famous uh, uh, event in aviation history. It was a long-distance flight. And uh, you were a, a crewman on, a B, on an early B-17. Was that the B-17A, the first, the first model? That's when they had the tail came down. They didn't have that uh, flat tail on the back. Yeah, they changed it. Yeah. Well, that's very interesting. And, and you, uh, you, you, you hopped out of an O-47 at night. Well, now, uh, if, uh, if I may pursue this, I hope I'm not boring you, because I don't think a guy jumping out of an O-47 at night is very boring. Uh, when you went out, Tony, uh, and you came down, uh, it was dark out. Did you, uh, did you know what, what you were over? Did you know whether you were over water or land? As you, but you didn't know when you jumped. As he came down, he says he could see that he could see as he got lower that he was over land. Of course... You couldn't make out any details at night. You could have landed in a high-tension wire or anything. That's one of the great dangers, of course, of jumping out of an airplane at night. That's one of the most dangerous things that a man can do in flying is to jump in, a, in an unknown area in a parachute at night. There just isn't many things more dangerous than that. In fact, uh, the uh, fatality rate is quite high in night parachute jumps because of things like that. Well, were you hurt when you landed? And twisted ankle. How about the pilot? He was okay. Well, he was an officer. You know, they don't. Uh, no, they they know how to do things better. And uh, <laughs> now, when you <laughs> when you you wrecked your, how far away was he when he landed? How far away from you was he when he came uh, down? About five miles. Well, of course, he stayed with the aircraft for a while. I see. And then he took off. Uh, did you, uh, were you both scared afterwards? Yeah, <laughs> no question about it. Well, you were involved in another crash, weren't you, Tony? You were involved in two more crashes. Well, one of them was really serious. Uh, it happened out in uh, Long Island, and that plane went in, and there were some fatalities in that one, wasn't there? Two dead and two alive. It was, uh, that was, wasn't that a, uh, a Vega? Oh, a Lockheed Lodestar. Yes, of course. Twin engine. Yeah. A small transport. And uh, you went in on a Lockheed Lodestar, and she uh, she just crashed. Yeah. And uh, burned. And you were sitting amid the wreckage. Well, that was an exciting. Thing. And now, after all that, you're here. You're crying out loud. This must be Dullsville. I mean... <laughs> You say you've had enough of that excitement, huh? Well, 
I, I, uh, the, I, I just uh, thought that it would be interesting for, for people to hear that, uh, that there are a lot of fascinating people in radio and television that you never heard of, you know, that, who have done wild things long before they arrived on this scene. And uh, anybody who is uh, a member of, or at least a, a qualified potential member of the, the uh, club, if there's anybody out there, now, th now I'd like this information for, for Tony himself. Uh, if there's anybody out there who knows how you can make application and what kind of uh, confirmation and so forth you need, of course, Tony's got all the confirmation. He's even got his service record to prove it. But uh, if any of you know how to get into the Caterpillar Club, in other words, where, where, where do you write to and so forth, uh, there must be some pilot out there who knows. Send us the dope here. I'd really be appreciative of it. And uh, then you can uh, get... You know what the Caterpillar Club has? It's got this little... Uh, if you ever see a guy walking around with a little emblem in his, in his lapel, and it is a caterpillar. It's a little caterpillar. Uh, this is a guy who has had one hell of a fantastic experience in his life. <laughs> you know that uh, there are several women members of the Caterpillar Club, uh, famous lady flyers who have hopped out of an airplane in moments of stress when the, when the aircraft was going in and uh, were saved. Now, now, you cannot be a member of the Caterpillar Club if you're in an airplane crash and you merely survive the crash. This is not what the Caterpillar Club is about. It's a guy who has leaped out of an airplane in a parachute to save his life and has, of course, done it. I mean, you, you know, that's, that's a criterion, too. They apply. Did it work? Uh, so if you, if you have done this, this is a member, of, you can be a member of this club. Now, there are other esoteric clubs like that. Do you know that there's a club which uh, you can join? That, uh, this is, a, this is a, a much more ribald club. Uh, that, that there's a club that involves the Arctic Ocean. And uh, let's put it this way. Uh, you, can, you can be in this club if you can prove that you have performed a bodily function in the Arctic Ocean. <laughs> well, it's a specific bodily function. I mean, you know. <laughs> well, you know what happens when you're driving on the turnpike at 3 o'clock in the morning, you stop at the Howard Johnson. Well, all right. Uh, <laughs> and so if you, if you can prove that you have done this, you can, you can join this organization. <laughs> and you know what the pin is? They've got a great little pin. It's a little pin you put in your lapel that shows a polar bear doing exactly that. <laughs> now, <laughs> now that's a club that, uh, <laughs> Uh, that that a lot of guys, uh, a lot, it's mostly men in there because you know not many people get up to the Arctic Ocean, and you have to, you know, uh, but, uh, there's certain limitations. But never, <laughs> yes, I, I'm, I'm, I have to admit I'm a member. That's why I know about this club. See, I'm quite proud of my membership in that club. Uh, so this is a, this is a club that. Uh, now I'll tell you some other. Uh, you want to hear some other clubs? The, the great little clubs, you know, that uh, that guys uh, have been in. Just a. Have you ever have you ever run into the club of uh, of people? Uh, there is a club that is formed only that is comp composed exclusively of people who have driven an automobile from coast to coast and back again. Now remember, coast to coast and back again, nonstop, nonstop. In short, if you start out here in New York City and you drive a car all the way to say Los Angeles. 
You don't even get off the turnpike. You don't. You could stop for gas, of course, but you do not stop your motor. The whole point is you 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 cannot at any point turn your engine off, and you can't sleep. It has to be nonstop. And so uh, I think the 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 longest stop that is allowed is something like fifteen minutes, where you you know you go in and you grab a sandwich, and, but you have to keep your motor running. You run back out, and jump in the car, and go ahead. The car is running. And uh, this club is, 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 is a very exclusive club, and you have to leave New York, and it has to be all confirmed and so forth. You leave New York, and you drive to uh, Los Angeles, and you turn right around and drive all the way back, and uh, then you can become a member of this club. And <laughs> now, that's a, that's a vaguely masochistic club. Do you know that, the, speaking of crazy clubs that I've run into, do you know that there's a club of people uh, who have skated professionally ice skaters it's a very exclusive club you know it's not easy to become a, a professional ice skater so uh, they have a professional ice skating club that is uh, if you were a star of the ice follies or if you were in the in the uh, chorus of the ice follies or something like that you can you can become a member of this club and their their headquarters is up around Minneapolis someplace there's another club there's a there, talk about a curious club uh, there is a club of deep sea divers. Now I'm talking about blue sea divers, the kind, the hard hat divers. There is a club of high hat divers, of guys who have been rescued in a in an emergency by a diving lung, where they've had to be wretched. The guys trapped down there, see, and they've had to send down this diving bell thing. And they've, they've rescued this guy. Do you know that there's also a club? Talk about wild clubs. There is a club of people. Of course, this, again, again, is mostly male uh, because of the nature of uh, what the club is. There is a club of men who have been rescued from submarines. A submarine has sunk, and they have been rescued from, un in other words, undersea rescue. So it's not enough just if your sub is in trouble and it's on the surface and they pull you off of the sub. That's not what it is. Can you imagine how exclusive that club is? Wow. <laughs> Guys that have been rescued from sub... There aren't many of those because usually when a sub goes down, that's the ball game. And uh, there is a sub of... Uh, there is a club of guys who've done that. Now, uh, there is also another... Talk about esoteric clubs. I hope I'm not boring you with this. Here's a, here's a wild club. And they, by the way, these are all operating clubs. These are not just fun uh, things, you know, where where somebody says, wouldn't it be great if, and then they make a certificate and hand it out. But there is a club of people who have parachuted into enemy territory during wartime. How do you like that? Now, that's not does not incidentally include paratroopers. I'm talking about secret agents and things. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> the James Bond world. Uh, this is... Uh, there, oh, there's all kinds of clubs. Right now, you know that there's a club of guys who have, who have piloted and have a, who have a pilot's license to pilot and operate Zeppelins and blimps? Now, that's it. And do you know what that insignia is? I met a guy in the Navy, the only guy uh, just a few years ago who was still active in the Navy who was a licensed, uh, well, he was a qualified naval blimp slash Zeppelin pilot. And if you ever see one, you'll, you'll never forget. He, he was constantly being kidded about his 
insignia. You know what the insignia is? You've seen the naval wings, regular aviation wings. Well, the, the blimp wings are half of the... They've just cut one wing off. In other words, it looks like somebody's taken his wing and busted it in half, and there's this one wing sticking out. And uh, people would come up to him and say, oh, excuse me, Captain, you're, uh, somebody's broken your wing there. And he says, no, no, no. I'm a, you know, this is, he's very proud of this, you know. And, and uh, this, this is an exclusive club. Hey, by the way, speaking of clubs, uh, I, I, I've been asked to, to announce this because uh, people were, are going to you know, complain bitterly if I don't. Uh, with this entire month, uh, we're gonna, I'm going to be going out all over throughout the Jersey area, and we're going to be having these autograph parties, you know, for, for the book. If you're going to buy a copy of my book, we're going to have an autograph thing. And I'm going to sign autographs. I'm going to sing, play, dance, play my Jews harp, and just so forth, uh, in beautiful downtown Plainfield. Hooray! We're going to be in beautiful downtown Plainfield, New Jersey, from 1 to 3 p.m. at the Plainfield Bookhouse. 218 East Front Street in Plainfield, New Jersey. Now, when is this? Uh, well, I'm afraid uh, Lee doesn't have it marked down when it is. Friday, okay. <laughs> Everything's down there except the day. All right, okay. Now, remember, I repeat, this will be Friday. I repeat, Friday. I'm going to be in beautiful downtown Plainfield from 1 to 3 p.m., at the Plainfield Bookhouse, 218 East Front Street in Plainfield, New Jersey. Now, that's this Friday. Now, if you have to work or have to study or so forth, we're going to be back at between 4 and 6 p.m. at the Bookhouse. This is another place. We're going to be at another place between 4 and 6 p.m. at the Bookhouse, 178 East Front Street in Plainfield, New Jersey. Just right down the street. There's two bookstores, in other words right in the middle of Plainfield. I'll be at one in the afternoon. That's the one called Plainfield Bookhouse, 218 East Front Street, between 1 and 3. And later on in the evening, between 4 and 6, if you have to go to work or school or something like that, we'll be at the Bookhouse, which is another store, the Bookhouse at 178 East Front Street in Plainfield. So uh, you, you can get down there and you get your copy of Wanda Hickey, and I'll write... By the way, I'll write in the front... I'll write... What's that, Tony? No, it's okay. I'll write in the front the stuff that I, I cut out because of good taste and because of the ladies out in the, <laughs> in the Midwest. But, uh, you know, I can tell you, uh, talk about, don't forget now, it's Plainfield this Friday, so don't immediately start calling up, what did he say it was? It's Friday this week, this Friday. And uh, we'll be there. And by the way, that's publication day, too, of the book. This will be the actually first autographed thing. It's the third, yeah. That's the pub date of our book. So it's going to be the 3rd, Friday, this September. Of course, it's September 3rd. And uh, we'll be there from, let's see, I want to repeat again so that you don't call up, please. Just just take the potato out of your ears. It'll be between 1 and 3 at the Plainfield Bookhouse at 218 East Front Street in Plainfield. And then between 4 and 6, the Bookhouse, 178 East Front Street in Plainfield. Okay? You know, talking about the uh, clubs... You know, one of the one of the of all the uh, clubs that are around, one of the most difficult to get into is the Explorers Club. Uh, that's an elegant club, of course, uh, of, of uh, world travelers and so forth. Oh, of course, there's a lot of social involvement in that one, and uh, you have to have uh, explored area or been an area that uh, is marked unexplored on maps to uh, to get into the Explorers Club. <laughs> and and uh, you know, as 
I, I, I suppose I really would qualify because I have been uh, in places. In fact, uh, I was in Peru uh, with the Chapra Indians in the headwaters of the Amazon, and that was marked on all the Peruvian air maps in that area there. It was marked unexplored. It was a completely white blob on the map. Uh, there's a, there, uh, another club. Talk about great clubs. Uh, uh, there are all kinds of, of clubs uh, that, that are around. One of the most curious clubs around, and uh, one of the most, of course, it's impossible to get into it, really. You have to have done this thing. But there is a worldwide club of fighter aces. Uh, what is a fighter ace? Well, an ace is a guy who has uh, engaged foreign or enemy aircraft flying a fighter plane. And he has shot down five or more enemy aircraft of whatever nationality. And just a year or so ago, they had a famous meeting. Did you hear about that? Gee, that would have been a fantastic television show. They had their world convention, I think it was in San Antonio, and three or four of the great Japanese Zero Aces were on hand. I mean, famous Zero pilots. Uh, the, the, the great hero, or the great uh, celebrity there, was the most successful fighter ace in the history of aviation, of, of uh, aviation warfare. Do you know his name? And how many planes he shot down? Well, I'll give you a clue. He's German. And uh, it was not von Richthofen by any means. This guy shot down, confirmed, over 300 airplanes. <laughs> 300. I'm fantastic. And uh, he was there... And among other things, uh, I've, I've, I saw pictures, and I talked to some of the guys who were down there, of uh, scenes where he was talking to guys that he had shot down. He had, he had just met them after all these years. And uh, this is a very esoteric club. Uh, and it's worldwide. It's not just one group. It's not just U.S. or RAF. And these elegant fighter races all get, all these guys, you know, that, that have done these things. Now, there's, a, there's an esoteric club. Uh, there's another strange club, too. Uh, and and uh, this one this one is a is a curious club. Uh, this is a club of sportsmen who have been attacked by a carnivorous animal and have saved themselves in hand to hand fight with this animal, and and can prove it without weapons. You know what what you, whatever you can grab. And uh, boy, how would you like to be in that one? You know. And <laughs> Well, now, that's not so, so strange. I, I met a guy when I was up in Alaska shooting our television show who has ju was just recovering from an attack by a Kodiak bear. He was unarmed, and uh, he was, he was uh, doing some surveying when all of a sudden, out of the undergrowth, this, this tremendous animal attacked him, knocked him down, and in the ensuing melee, he, he, he finally he beat the bear off, actually. He grabbed the hole of a stone... And the bear was holding him down. The bear had ripped his shoulder open and was about to, you know, kind of make a little barbecue out of him. And he reached down and he grabbed the stone and he hammered the stone right on the, on the bear's head between the eyes as the bear was about to bite him. And uh, the bear jumped up and ran away. And he was, he was, he was a new member of that club. <laughs> he was also bandaged up from head to toe. But uh, how about that for a club? So uh, if you... If you think you've lived, uh, you know, a pretty, fairly exciting life, man, uh, there are guys with the pins and the badges to prove what they've done. Tony, I hope somebody sends in the information on the Caterpillar Club because uh, you're certainly qualified for it. 
And uh, it would be fascinating. Of course, you, you can walk around, then you're very... You know what they also have? You can get a blazer, see? And it has this, this caterpillar on the, on, the, uh, on the pocket. It's a tremendous uh, insignia, discussion, see? And man, any anytime you go to a cocktail party and you stand around with that weak martini in your hand, and uh, these other guys are coming around talking about how uh, you know the, the George Plimpton syndrome. You know, I once I once pretended I played quarterback. By the way, that's another great club. Uh, do you know that there is a club composed exclusively of guys who can prove that they were regular members of a professional football team? You know, big time football team. One of the great clubs too is guys who wear the World Series ring. Ball players who have played, professional ball players who have played in big league baseball, who have played and been part of a team that won or played in the World Series. They get a World Series ring. And if you ever see Joe Garagiola on television, and you see him talking or something, and you see his hand moving around on television, watch his hand because he's wearing a World Series ring, which is the one big thing that all ball players all secretly want. You know, there are many guys in the Hall of Fame that never got that. Among them, Luke Appling. He never played on a team that got hired in, a, I think, third place. Best time of his days. So, uh, think clean thoughts, friends. And don't forget, Plainfield, you just keep in mind, right? Wanda Hickey's Night of Golden Memories. Yeah, Doubleday.